We're in a sermon series, actually, today is the last sermon in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about marriage. Marriage. And I just want to tell you that um, we're going to be talking about some adult subject matter. Y'all ready for that? So we're going to be talking about it. The world's talking about it. Sitcoms are talking about it. Movies you go to are talking about it. I'm telling you right now, God had a lot to say about it. I want to know what God said. I want to know, about, I want to know what God said about the physical relationship between a man and a woman. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the five basic needs of a man and the five basic needs of a woman. That's what we'll talk about the next two Sundays. Then on the third Sunday of February, we'll talk about parenting. And uh, anybody interested in any of that? I mean, is that scratch where you itch right there? Got to know how to keep those marriages together good, how to raise those kids. And um, going to give a lesson on how to give a good spanking. Because, hey, hey, here, let me just say this. If you'll do it like you ought to, you won't have to do it much. How many of y'all remember those days? When all your mama had to do was look at you, and you was hurting already back in here. Amen? All right. God in a box. We talked about the limitless power of God in the first two sermons of this series, how there is not a problem God can't solve, a prayer God can't answer, a person God can't serve. There's not a promise that God will not or cannot keep. And then we talked about last week how man can limit God. God is limitless, but man can limit God. The Bible says in Psalm 78, 41, talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness, God wanted to lead them into the land of blessing. He wanted to lead them into the land of plenty, but they wouldn't let him. And so the Bible says, yes, again and again, they tempted God, they tried God, they tested God, and they, everybody read it out loud, the yellow part, they limited the Holy One of Israel. So it's hard to believe that puny little old man can limit God, but he can, and the reason he can is because God allows it. That word limit means set boundaries on or hinder or bind up. We looked at two ways that we can tie God's hands. We looked at that scripture in Matthew where they came to arrest Jesus and the Bible says they bound him. How do we bind Jesus? How do we tie God's hands? How do we prevent God from doing what he wants to do in our life? So we looked at two ways last week, the unwilling heart, the unwilling heart. And we looked at the scripture over in Matthew 23 where Jesus was standing over Jerusalem and tears were pouring down his face and he held his hands over them and said, I long to bless you. I long to take care of you. I long to feed you. I long to protect you. I long, Jesus said, I yearn in my heart to bless you and be good to you and do great things for you. And then at the end of that verse it says, but you are not willing you won't let me do it. And then we talked about not only the unwilling heart, but the unconcerned heart. And we looked in Revelation 3 at the Laodicean church. It was a church, a local church. The Bible says Jesus stood at the door of that church and knocked, but they would not let him in. 
why it backs up. When you back up, it says that the reason they would not let him in is because they were apathetic toward God. They were, they were, um, there was no passion. He said, here's what you've said, church. He said, you've said that you're rich, you're increased with goods, and you have need of nothing. He said, so you don't feel desperate for me. He said, the fact of the matter is you are desperate for me. You're blind and naked, and you're, and you're wretched, and you need me, and you don't even know it because you got some things, some temporary things that I've blessed you with, so you, don't, you think you don't need me. And so there's that apathy, that apathy. That apathy will tie God's hands. That unconcerned spirit, that unconcerned attitude will tie the hands of God. Now, what I'd encourage you to do is go to our website at bridgechurch.cc if you didn't hear those messages and listen to them. And of course, you all know, and I'll just remind you that I will send you my sermon notes any time you want them. My email address is feral at bridgechurch.cc. And you just say, Pastor, I want those sermon notes. People do it all the time, just about every week, and I'll be happy to send them out. So let's look at three more hearts or three more attitudes that bind God, that tie God's hands. The one we're going to talk about today is what I'm going to call the irrational heart. Irrational or unreasonable heart. When you are unreasonable, God can't bless you. When you're irrational in your thinking and in your reasoning, it ties the hands of God in your life. So let's look at some scripture. Let's go to Isaiah 1 and 18. Now he's talking here, you all know this verse probably already. He's talking here about people who need their sins forgiven. You say, oh, like people who haven't become Christians, they need their sins forgiven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before I came to Christ, I needed my sins forgiven. And when I came to Christ, I was born again. I was born of the Spirit. I was born the second time, the second birth. And my sins were forgiven when I was saved, when I became a Christian. But I got to tell you something, man. I'm a senior pastor of an awesome church. And I still have to have my sins forgiven. I still mess up. I still make mistakes. I still drop the ball. Um, matter of fact, if I don't get my sins forgiven, God can't use me in preaching. God can't, God can't give me the messages he wants me to preach. preach. Um, it ties God's hands. You know, one of the ways that I sin a lot of times is in my attitude, in my, in my thinking process. <clears throat> Y'all look real holy while I'm up here talking about my sin. <laughs> you know, sometimes I don't treat Miss Millie right. And if there's anybody that deserves to be treated right, it's Miss Millie. And sometimes I don't treat her right. You know what the Bible says about that? You guys need to listen up on this one. The Bible says God won't hear my prayers when I mistreat my wife. Now, ladies, y'all can do whatever you want to to us. Don't say that about y'all. <laughs> I know you men out there going, my, my wife's been reading the Bible. I, I know she has. But it says to the men, but you know why it says it to the men? Because we're the, we're the leader. And I know we live in a time, you know, of... Um, 
women's rights and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, the Bible's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God says the man is to be the spiritual leader of his house. The man is supposed to be the spiritual leader. And um, makes you responsible for a whole lot. I had a man tell me one time in a marriage counseling thing, he said, tell her I'm the head of the house. Tell her. Tell her. I said, well, you know, the man who behaves himself and walks in Christ and loves his wife the way Jesus loved the church, that's what my Bible says, then he gets to be the head of the house. But when he be a jerk, <laughs> he don't get to be the head of the house. <laughs> All right, let me get on my sermon here. That's a good preacher right there, ain't it? The women are like, amen, come on. <laughs> Isaiah one eighteen. Come now, everybody say the yellow part. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, that's like a stain that won't come out, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So it's pretty amazing that the Lord of glory would say, hey, folks, come on, man, be reasonable. Be reasonable. Let's look at another scripture in the New Testament. Let's go to Romans 12 and 1. I love the Amplified Bible. Paul is in prison. He is writing to the Romans. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, who? So that means he's talking to Christians, believers. Yes, us. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God that you would make a decisive dedication of your bodies, which means presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, that is devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your, and reasonable means rational, intelligent service, and spiritual worship. The remarkable thing about this verse right here is that when you read it, you can almost get a mental picture of God praying to us. Look what he says. He says, I appeal to you. That sounds like me praying to him, doesn't it? I appeal to you, Lord. I, I beg of you, Lord. But this is God talking to us. It's almost like God is on his knees pleading with us, asking us to make this kind of surrender to him. And the reason he's asking us to make this kind of surrender to him is because we go back to last week, he won't force it. You have to choose it. See, if, if God was going to force you to surrender, that verse right there wouldn't need to be in the Bible. But he's not going to make you love him. He's not going to make you surrender to him. He's not going to make you yield to him. He's going to call you to do it, but the decision of whether you surrender to God is up to you. Totally up to you. He allows himself to be bound by our irrational thinking. He allows himself to be bound by our unreasonableness. Let me, let me just give you an example of unreasonableness. Have you ever... Um, 
Have you ever had somebody in your kind of witnessing target line that you wanted, you really wanted to see them come to the Lord? You really wanted to see them become a Christian? I mean, we want everybody who's not a Christian to become one, but I mean, sometimes God just really puts somebody really deep on your heart, really heavy in your heart, and maybe you'll ask them to come with you to the bridge, and they'll go, I'm never, ever going to church again, and here's why. When I was growing up, my mom and daddy made me go. They made me go to church every time the doors were open, Sunday morning, Sunday school, preaching service, and then go home and didn't even get to stay and watch Bonanza. Had to go to church Sunday night. How many people remember Bonanza on Sunday night? We got some old people here. I never, never growing up got to see the wonderful world of Disney. Because it was on Sunday night. And we knew if the rapture happened and we weren't in church, we's left. That's not, that's not. We kind of were suggested that though so we were at church every Wednesday night and we were at church every Sunday night and every Sunday morning and some people go you know <coughs> some people go you know I was I was drugged to church they drugged me to church they drugged me to every service I'm never going to church don't even ask me anymore I made up my mind when I get grown I'm not going to church anymore and when somebody says that, it's almost like you're like, wow. It's almost like, yeah, that's pretty good. Pretty good excuse. But I got a question for that guy. Did your mama teach you to brush your teeth? Yeah. Have you quit doing that? Because if you have, stand back. <laughs> How many of you growing up hated brushing your teeth? Hated it. Hated brushing my teeth. Hated going to the dentist. And mama said, if you brush your teeth like y'all do, you won't have to go to the dentist as much. I said, man, you can sure tell Adam and Eve messed up in the Garden of Eden because this is a curse right here, <laughs> having to clean your teeth all the time. I hated it. I mean, you want to look at somebody and go, let me ask you this. Did your mama teach you to take a bath? And you go, yeah, well, have you quit that? Because if you have, I need you to stand back further. <laughs> it is unreasonable to say I'm not going to go to church because I was made to go. You were made to go to school. You were made to brush your teeth. You were made to take a bath. And I hope and pray you hadn't given any of those things up. Isn't it amazing? It's always the God stuff. It's always the committing our life to Jesus stuff. It's always the giving ourselves as a living sacrifice. See, our flesh don't want that. So we don't ever say, I'm never brushing my teeth, or I'm never going to school, or I'm never going to pick my clothes up, or I'm never going to wash my clothes in the washing machine. I'm never going to brush my teeth. See, we don't say that. But boy, when it comes to going to church and consecrating our life to God, boy, they're ready with that one, aren't they? They're ready with that excuse. You know what that is right there? That's unreasonableness. That's unreasonable. You think it's a good excuse. I hope there's some people listening online this morning who sitting at church, sitting at home listening. I hope they're, those people who say, I don't go to church because my mom drugged me, that's a sorry excuse. I was reading this week about excuses, and one preacher said an excuse is just the skin of a reason 
stuffed with a lie. That's what an excuse is. Jesus says, God said in Isaiah, come down, let us reason together. Paul says in Romans, which is your reasonable, you're not being reasonable. He said, when you're not reasonable, I can't, I can't bless you. Matter of fact, if you go back to that Isaiah scripture, he's saying, if you're not reasonable, I can't forgive you. If you're not reasonable, I can't deal with your sins. I can't wash your sins away. And if our sins aren't dealt with and our sins aren't washed away, then we go into eternity without Jesus. Then there are those people who say, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to church because y'all got hypocrites out there at that church. Man, that's a news bulletin right there, ain't it? <laughs> that we got hypocrites here. Yeah, we got hypocrites. Sometimes it's me. Sometimes I'm the hypocrite because I stand up here and preach something and then I go home and do something different. If that's a hypocrite, I do that. Matter of fact, on that sermon series on marriage next week, Miss Millie's going to be right here listening. And the whole time I'm preaching, she's going to go, hmm. <laughs> you need some forgiveness, Farrell Hardison. Because she knows me. You know, Somebody said, uh, your reputation is what people think you are, and your character is what God and your wife know you are. And my wife knows. She knows when I mess up. And you know what? When I mess up, you know what she does? She just don't say nothing. See, it'd be way easier if she'd come back. But then when you do something stupid toward your wife and treat her wrong, and she's just quiet, you're just standing there baking in your stupidity. You're just standing there roasting and marinating in your dumbness. See, if she would come back, then you could come out of that and you could say, bring it on, sister. See, because I can verbally articulate better than Millie can. I can go, I got three points right here in some scripture in this argument, and we're going to close with a poem, and then I want you to come to the altar. <laughs> See, that's how I argue with Millie. So Millie don't give me no argument back. She just lets me, and look, in her mind, she's going, he'll be in here in a minute. He'll be in here in just a minute. He'll be going, I'm, I'm so sorry. Because God ain't going to answer my prayers if I don't get that straight. Oh, she's so smart. It's unreasonable to say I'm not going to go to church because they're hypocrites. You know, one of Jesus' 12 disciples was a hypocrite. And the other 11 didn't quit because of him. And then all the people who came to Jesus in the book of Acts, they didn't use Judas as an excuse not to come to Christ. But boy, we do it today, don't we? Hypocrites. I'm telling you, if there's a hypocrites, I'm not going out there to that church. I know some people go out there to that church, and I'm telling you, they're hypocrites. I bought a dozen eggs the other day. One of them was a hypocrite. but I have not quit eating eggs. I'm just more careful. <laughs> Write this stuff down. I'm help, I'm help, try to help y'all. They tell me money can be counterfeit. It, it, it offends me when I give somebody a $20 bill and they go, ho, oh, oh, ho, let me get my pen out. 
Get a pen out and mark that. I'm pastor of the bridge. I don't care who you are. I'm find out. You print money out there at that church. <laughs> so, so I, based, on, based on that, if there are hypocrites in the church, and so I'm never going to church, based on that philosophy, since there's hypocritical money, you need to go to the bank and get all your money out and burn it up. Don't you? You need to say, that $20 counterfeit I read about in the paper offends me. It offends me that some money is hypocritical. I'm never using money again. You know what that is? Yeah. Matter of fact, the Greek word for that is stupidos. Mm. I'm just, I'm trying to help you with the Greek. What is it? What's the word we're talking about? It's what? It's unreasonable. That's unreasonable. We think we got great excuses. We, we think we're going to give an excuse and God's going to go, whoa, I ain't thought of that. I believe they got me. Let me get back with you tomorrow. I'm going to need to get the angels together. I have an emergency meeting with the Holy Trinity. You come up with one I wasn't ready for. Are you kidding me? That's unreasonable. Let's look at two more hearts that will tie God's hands. An unrepentant heart. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Listen. The reason he said that, because he wants you to listen. <laughs> That's why he said that. Listen. He, now, here's what he starts with. He starts with what's not the problem. Because a lot of times we don't go, Can God, is God isn't with me? Or God can't do, maybe I found something God can't do. Look, he goes, let me just go ahead and get something straight off the bat. First of all, you're not missing out on God's blessings because his arm's not too, his arm's not strong. The Lord's arm is not too weak. That, that's not why you're not getting your prayers answered to save you. He said, and another reason you're not, not getting your blessings uh, from God is that noise his ear too deaf to hear. So what he's saying there is God knows. He heard you cry. He knows. And he's got the power to do it. So that's not the problem. He said, but let me tell you what your problem is. It's your It's your sins that have what? Did I say that? Is that Pharaoh Hardison chapter 4 verse 7? No. That's the word of God. It is your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has and will. Do I, I mean, really, do I even need to preach on that? Right there it is. Right there it is. It is not that God cannot save. It is not that God is weak. It is not that God cannot hear. The problem is that we have sin in our lives that is not dealt with. Let me, let me just tell you what we want to do a lot of times. Is we want to let God in the foyer of our life. We want to let God in the formal living room where everything's neat and dusted and cleaned up. 
And we might let him in the den, the sitting room, or we might let him in the kitchen. But he wants to get back there in those closets you got locked up. So I know what y'all do when you know I'm coming. Y'all get a bunch, y'all throw stuff in all the rooms. I get there, you're like, preacher, how you doing, man? And it just looks so good, you know. That's what we do when we know you're coming to our house. <laughs> I don't want you looking in every room in my house. I don't want you looking in every closet in my house. I got me a man cave now. I don't want you in my man cave. And that's how we are with God. We want him in the foyer. It's fine. Everything in there is nice. Everything in the living room is nice. But God wants to get in every part of your life, and we're holding him off from some areas. And when we hold him off from some areas, we cut him off. And he can't bless. He can't do what he wants to do. There's no sin God cannot forgive. But he will not forgive any sin you won't give up. He won't forgive any sin you won't relinquish. He won't forgive any sin you won't get real with him about it. You got to get real with him about it. We had, uh, and I'm not going to tell the story, but we had such an awesome testimony come into the office this week about somebody who got real because of this sermon series. They got real with something that had been hidden. And now God is going to move in that person's life. And I could just tell when I read it that it was teary and it was brokenhearted. I don't even know the person's name, but that it was teary and brokenhearted. It was real repentance. It was real with God. It was, it was an area I didn't want everybody to know about, but I've got to open up about it. I've got to tell it. I've got to bring it to God. I've got to own this. Man, it was one of the most powerful moving stories I've ever heard. It, it just touched my heart. You got to turn your back on it. You cannot negotiate. I read a quote, and I know I'm going to mess it up, but I read a quote this week that said, you know, in essence, stop trying to negotiate with God about your sin. God ain't going to negotiate with you about your sin. Hey, God, if you let me hold on to that, I'll do this, 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 and this. He don't work that way. He doesn't work that way. Our, own, our very own justice system doesn't work that way. You don't get to do a whole bunch of bad things if you do one right thing. You don't get to do one wrong thing if you do a whole bunch of good things. It's not about that. You have to own it. And that unrepentant heart is going to cut you off from God. Heard about a little girl who stuck her hand in a very expensive vase. As a matter of fact, that vase was so expensive, it was probably a vase. <laughs> so she stuck her hand in it. I mean, it was an antique. It was one made hundreds of years ago, and she got her hand in there, and they kept trying to get it out. She couldn't get her hand out. They used oil. They used soap. They used everything they could get. She could not get her hand out of that vase, that vase that was worth hundreds of dollars, maybe even thousands of dollars. They couldn't get her hand out of it. And finally, you know what they had to do? They had to break that thing. Had to take something and break it. And when they broke it, this is they found out she had a little fist balled up like that. And they said, baby, did you have your fist balled up like that? 
the whole time she said, uh-huh. They said, well, if you would have just opened up your hand, it would slip right out. She said, but I dropped my penny in there, and I had my penny. She held on to that penny, and they lost that valuable vase. And that's just like our sin. We will risk eternity to hold on to some little pleasure, some little hidden pleasure that we just cannot let it go. We're just like that little girl. God wants to bless you. He wants to. And it may be, though, that there's some sin in your life you won't let go. You do everything else, but you you won't let go of that one thing. You just hold it. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're frustrated and you're saying, oh, yeah, there's nothing too hard for God. Oh, yeah, God can do anything. What I want to know is when is he going to do something for me? When is he going to answer my prayer? But see, you limit him when you don't bring your sins to him, every single one of them, and let him deal with it. Let me give you the last heart. We've talked about the unwilling heart. We've talked about the unconcerned heart. We've talked about the irrational heart. We've talked about the unrepentant heart. There's one more heart that ties God's hands, the unbelieving heart. You gotta believe. You gotta have faith for the impossible. And here, let's get back to what I said earlier in the series. You gotta have it for you. You gotta have it for you, man. It's not just about other people getting blessed. God, you're precious to God. You're valuable to God. You're important to God. God doesn't just want to bless certain people. He wants to bless you. So I want you to believe. I want you to get your faith level up. But I want you to believe for you. I want you to believe for your family. 2015, I'm going to pray for other people. But I want you to say this, in 2015, I'm going to believe God to do something great in my life. I don't believe God to do a miracle in my life, in my family, in my children. Nothing limits God more than our lack of faith. Nothing limits God more than our unbelief. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 6, it talks about Jesus went to his hometown to minister. He went to Nazareth, and the scripture says he could do no mighty work there. He could not do a great miracle in that town, and then it says because of their unbelief. And you might say, well, pastor, that's the one I battle with. That's the one I struggle with so much is my faith, my, my trust, my confidence, my my belief in God and the fact that God can do anything and God can do anything in my life. I, I battle with that. How do I improve that? How do I break through that? You know what the disciples did when they were struggling with their unbelief? They prayed. They said to Jesus, Lord, help our unbelief. Help us. They just got real. Listen, I'm telling you, nothing will get you further with God than just getting real. Praying in the King James Version does not help you. 
praying with a different voice. Dear God, I cometh before thee. Do you really think God goes, nah, that's what I'm talking about right there? No. Man, you know what? You know what you need to do? You need to get everybody out of your house. You need to get in your comfortable chair. And you need to sit down and you just talk to God. Just talk to him. You say, well, I got some issues. Bring them up. I hate to bring them up. He already knows. Tell him. You got a porn problem? Talk to God about your porn problem. Tell him. I'm telling you something, man. Confession's good for the soul. One of the reasons you can't get breakthrough in your life is because you, you think there's stuff you can't bring up to God. That's craziness. He already knows. He's already aware. He already sees. He's already, when you're looking at that screen at night when the family's going to bed and you're looking at things you ought not to look at, Jesus is right there with you. He's right there beside you. And I'm not picking on people who just struggle with that, but I'm just telling you, the problem is we think we got to get stuff straight, then we can come to Jesus. No, no, no. He's the one that gets it straight for you. He does it in you. He helps you. He breaks that on you. He breaks that stronghold in your life. He breaks that area of your life. You can't get it fixed and then come to him. You go to him to get it fixed. That's like saying my washing machine's tore up, and when I get it fixed, I'm going to call the repairman in here and go, I am worthy. Come in, Maytag man. I am worthy. That's how we feel. i got to get fixed, then I can talk to God. He'll like me. Let me tell you something. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You can go out of here today and commit horrible, horrible sin, and it'll break God's heart. And he will weep for you. But he won't love you any less. But there's also nothing you can do to make him love you more. Because his love is perfect. See, you say, if I give this up and I get that straightened out in my life and I get out of this relationship I know God doesn't want me in and I do all that, then I'm going to come to God. No, man. He wants to help you. See, when you're trying to break all that stuff by yourself, you can't do it. So you never come to him because you don't ever feel worthy. Bring your mess to him. Bring your imperfections to him. Bring it you say, well, you know, I, I got victory and then this thing creeped back in my Just bring it. He already knows it's creeped back into your life. Bring it. Go, God, I, before that thing gets roots down, before that thing gets strong, before that thing gets a hook in me, I know that's something old. I gave up a long time ago and here it is back in my life. God, I don't want that back in my life. I confess before you right now that I begin to struggle with this again. God, get that hook out of me. Get it out. Don't let that. How many bass fishermen we got in here? Bass fishermen? Bass fisher women, when they bite it, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Come on. Set that hook, baby. And the enemy puts it all out there. And he wants you to just put your mouth back on it again. Put your, and then he, when he knows, he's going to set that hook in you. And when you see yourself begin to get attracted to something, you ought not to be attracted to and get connected to things. And people... And relationships you ought not to get connected to. You need to know that all that is is a lure. And the minute you embrace it, he's going to set that hook. 
And then you got a battle on your hands then. Am I making sense? We're talking about belief, though. Can Jesus do what I need him to do? Well, he said in the Bible, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. How much? All. Now, what the Bible means when it says all is it means, yeah, it means all. Then it says in another place in the Bible, with God, things are possible. And when it says all there, what it really means is, and then we read, there's nothing too hard for God. And when it says nothing, it really means he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief. So it's not because he can't hear. It's not because he can't. Doesn't have strength. His arm's too short. It's too weak. It's because of us. It's because of our unbelief that he's not able to move and work. See, faith is the channel through which the miracle working power of God flows into your life. Faith is the conduit. Faith is that electrical cord that you plug into the power of God. It flows through faith. Faith is like that cord. You you know, that, that plug in the wall is God's power working in your life and there you are, you're like that whatever, you know, computer or printer, but you got to plug into the power and faith is that cord. It is the channel through which the power of God comes into your life. So if, you are, if you're a doubter, pray about that. So what I want you to envision as we just end this sermon is Jesus is in this service right now reaching his hands out to you. I want you to just picture him over this service, over this building, and he's just reaching his hands out to you to bless you. Don't bind them. Don't take those hands that are reaching out to you and pull them together and bind them with unwillingness, a heart of unconcern, a heart of irrational thinking or unreasonableness, a heart of uncleanness, hidden sin, or a heart of disbelief. Don't tie God's hands. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Untie his hands. Let God out of that box. And let him do stuff in your life he's never done before. He wants to. He stood over Jerusalem and said, I long to. I long to. I don't care where you are spiritually. I don't care where you are spiritually. That promise is to you. He wants to work in your life. Don't tie his hands. Let's all stand.